In this episode of TES Podagogy, TES Commissioning Editor John Severs discusses direct instruction with Paul Kirshner, University Distinguished Professor at the Open University of the Netherlands and one of the world's foremost researchers in instructional design. Professor Kirshner explains what direct instruction is, why he believes it to be the most effective method of teaching, and he also addresses some myths about how it should be used. Hello, Paul. Thank you for joining me. Um, hello, John. Thank you very, very much for having me uh, on this podcast. So you're um, you know, one of the foremost researchers in, in instructional design um, globally, I would say. And you know, your work is cited widely. And over those years, you've looked at many different instructional techniques, uh, but recently you seem to emphasise one as the as sort of the most important, if you if you want to use that terminology, which is um, direct instruction. Uh, would that be fair to say? Uh, yes and no. Yes, um, um, that's the way it's called at the moment. Mm. Um, I myself often use the term explicit instruction. Um, my idea is that. Um, uh, uh, learners are novices and thus know little and have little prior knowledge and uh, that the best way to help them gain uh, knowledge, skills, understanding, even attitudes is um, the most effective, efficient and enjoyable way uh, is to make sure that they get uh, proper instruction. Mm. Um, and when I say enjoyable, I'm not talking about fun, although fun is really great, uh, but I mean um, um, enjoyable in terms of uh, gratification, uh, experiencing success. Mm. And that's why possibly people call me an instructivist, because um, I like good, explicit instruction for the student. And I think I might have to explain what that kind of means. Say, what, does that, what does that look like? Well, in any event, you can say you, you go through a number of, of I, I, I wouldn't call them stages because that always sounds as though they're linear in nature, and they aren't. But uh, um, uh, the first thing I'd say, well, you have to kind of like set the stage for that learning. You have to, you have to um, make sure that learners have the uh, prerequisite knowledge that could also be creating uh, a learning context for them so they can contextualize what they're learning. Um, after you do that, you make, have to make sure there's kind of like a, how would you say it, a clear explanation mm-hmm. of um, what's expected of them and what they're supposed to do. Um, that's not um, giving them algorithms that they have to do, but give them the procedural knowledge to carry out what they're doing. Um, working with new and novel experience and, 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 and facts and things like that is very uh, um, difficult in terms of cognitive load. And so you have to make the primary aspect, which is the learning, you have to make uh, uh, all of the extraneous load as small as possible. Mm. Uh, the next thing that you might want to do, which is kind of like the best way to do it, is to, to model the process, show how something is done, um, walk and talk the students through it in terms of not only showing it, but showing it and then um, uh, trying to explain not only what you did, but why you did what you did. Mm. Then the next thing is practice, and the practice should be guided um, which then kind of gradually gives way as the learners are more and more capable of carrying it out themselves to uh, independent practice, and you only do that if you're successful, if you're confident that the students will be fairly successful. And finally, um, assessing it, uh, assessing it formally, informally, summatively at the end, but also formatively throughout, so that they learn it. Um, that's in any event the way I see explicit 
instruction. Is that how the body of research uh, sees explicit um, instruction, or is there quite a lot of variance between the studies that have looked at that kind of teaching, whether they call it explicit instruction, direct instruction, or you know Engelman's capital D I? Is there are there more differences and similarities between them, or? Well, there there are a number of um, different ones. Um, uh, uh, that you could say uh, uh, have a uh, share uh, a certain basis with each other, mm. and there are a number that um, are completely strange. Um, okay. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I, I can't say it in any other way. Um, if, if I can take a, a step a step back, yeah. when when looking at direct instruction, um, you have to kind of step back from what I call uh, paradigmas. Okay. and not paradigms. Um, uh, uh, in different situations, I mean, I, I myself was trained uh, originally as a behaviorist. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I had a, also fairly good training, and I call myself a cognitive psychologist, but I've also dabbled for years in constructivism and uh, learning in teams and things like that, even social constructivism. Mm -hmm. But... Um, uh, in, in, in you have to get away from your paradigmas and, 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 and realize that in different situations you need to use different approaches. Sometimes a, a behaviorist approach works really well. In other situations, a cognitivist uh, approach works well. And in others, a constructivist approach. I, I often compare um, teaching and instructional design to um, being a, a, a chef in a, at a top Michelin restaurant. Okay, yeah. uh, I say a, um, um, a good instructional designer or a teacher has techniques, tools, and ingredients, and he or she uses them to prepare tasty, good-looking, uh, and healthy meals uh, for um, clients, uh, for people who visit the restaurant. Uh, the sh a good chef doesn't limit himself or herself to just one tool, one teak, technique or one ingredient and neither should a teacher mm. the teacher should be doing making use of all the techniques tools and ingredients that he or she has to achieve effective efficient and enjoyable learning mm. now getting back to the question you just asked and now try to in any event set the stage for this yeah. as, as i was talking about following your own advice um, yeah. <laughs> there, 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 yeah there are there are two um the definitions of direct instruction that you can do really very little with and that's um you, you can see that uh, barrack rosenshine wrote a really nice article about that and one of them is any academic instruction led by a teacher mm -hmm. it's completely non-specific anything led by a teacher it could be discovery learning led by a teacher or it could be a lecture led by the teacher okay Okay, on um, those types of definitions, um, there's absolutely, um, you know, no value. Um, the second definition of direct instruction is kind of pejorative in nature. It's, it's people setting up a typical straw man uh, based upon the idea of lecture and passive listening. Mm. It's been, you know, it's, it's authoritarian, it's drill and skill, it's isolated rote fact accumulation, it uh, focuses on tests. It's one size fits all, all of those types of, 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 of thoughts about it. It's setting up a straw man, as I said, uh, which is very easy to knock down. Mm. But those two things aren't what I prefer, aren't what they you know, should be. Direct instruction 
uh, can be seen at best, according in any event to uh, Barak, um, as um, procedures used by effective teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And that's kind of like stating your lesson goals, dividing tasks into smaller components, um, uh, anticipating student efforts and things like that. Errors, I mean, sorry, errors. Um, another one are instructional procedures used by teachers uh, uh, when they're teaching uh, cognitive strategies to students. So that's uh, also, again, uh, in, in the same uh, type of, of, of thing. But then you're giving them the tools, the students as it is, the tools and techniques uh, to learn, um, making use of uh, techniques like um, uh, distributed practice, retrieval practice, those types of things to achieve uh, the, the goals. And the third, which is fairly relate, related to that, um, are the DISTAR, the, 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 the Engelmann's uh, capital uh, DI, yeah. where you um, uh, give students an, an explicit step-by-step strategy. Um, uh, you help them uh, to develop mastery at each step in the process. Um, uh, you have uh, specific correction procedures when students make errors. Um, you fade uh, teacher direction as students move forward. Um, you use uh, adequate and systematic practice. And um, uh, you review the newly learned concept. Those are the six, I think I've, I got them correctly, uh, the six DI. Uh, and as you can see, they all have, um, those, those last three have a lot dealing with the same things, giving feedback, checking things out, um, uh, anticipating student errors. Um, I think the thing that, that, that the commonalities of that, uh, of, of, of the three better descriptions of direct instruction are that they are all intended to uh, reduce the difficulty of uh, a task mm. during the initial run of it, the, the initial practice. So you do things in small steps. You give people the necessary prior knowledge. Uh, you provide uh, uh, scaffolds and support to uh, the learners. And that could be through modeling, through giving them worked out examples, to giving them process worksheets, those types of things. Uh, you provide um, good supportive feedback, and feedback often in terms of not direct, uh, a corrective feedback, you did this right or wrong, but more directive feedback as how you could have or should have done it, but even more interesting is what I call epistemic feedback, which is you get students to think about what they did, um, how did you arrive at this answer, um, could you have done it in a different way, would a, a, a different approach have led to a different uh, result or a better result, those types of things, because you want to get students... Metacognitive. Uh, yeah, metacognitive, I call yeah. it epistemic, but it, oh, it's metacognitive prompts. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Olson, Stellan Olson calls it uh, uh, epistemic tasks. Okay. Okay. And um, uh, the fourth thing is uh, providing um, uh, uh, extensive uh, independent practice. Mm. If you add those four things together, reducing the difficulty, providing scaffolds and support, providing good feedback, and providing um, uh, lots of independent practice, you have kind of like the basis of what I would call um, explicit instruction or direct instruction. There seems to be a lot of um, flexibility within those constraints where a teacher can interpret that and deliver that in quite a a different number of ways. Yes, 
that's the case. But as I said, if we go back to my analogy of being um, a, a three-star Michelin cook, yeah, yeah, um, that's also the, case, the discretion of the the, the cook. Mm. Um, my my um, premise here is that teachers aren't only experienced, but they're experts. Mm. They have a, a deep conceptual knowledge, both of the um, area that they're teaching in, the domain that they're teaching in, but also in the domain of teaching. Mm. They know the tools and techniques and ingredients that they can use, and they can... Uh, John Hattie made that distinction between them, and, and he found that the, the, the deep conceptual knowledge was the most important thing for an expert teacher. That's a divining uh, quality, de defining, sorry, not divining. Hmm. Yeah, it's my Dutch coming in again, sorry. Okay. Uh, the defining uh, uh, character, characteristic of an expert teacher is this deep conceptual knowledge, both pedagogical or educational on the one hand, and the domain he or she is teaching. And it means that the teacher is capable of thinking on his or her feet, um, uh, um, being very flexible and adaptable, and that's just like a good chef uh, noting that a certain ingredient isn't there or is old and will choose then for a different technique to make use of it in a, in, in a meal because it's no longer the bright-looking vegetable or piece of meat that he or she originally had planned for. Yeah. And uh, within the process, there's quite a lot of flexibility if you hold on to those basic commonalities. And that's the exact same thing that yeah, um, a good lawyer does or a good doctor does, or a good teacher does, or a good cook does. Does that make researching direct instruction difficult? Because though they ha you have those constraints, and I, I guess you can try and isolate those, those elements in, in your study, the delivery will play a big part in the effectiveness of, of Definitely. those. Definitely. Um, but all, almost all education is really very difficult because it's very hard to control for very many of the co confounding factors. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, it's as simple as if I do the exact same thing, even if I, if, if I put it in a can, uh, kind of like, and, and present it through video or whatever, um, the, the first lesson period in the morning can be completely different from the second lesson period in the morning mm. because of either smaller or larger experiences. So anything you're doing in education means um, that you have to um, do your best knowing that you'll never be evidence-based. I tend to use the word evidence-informed. Okay. Um, evidence-based is, we, we get that from um, pharmacology and, and um, uh, medicine. And in pharmacology, it's the case if you have to take your pill at um, before breakfast, uh, um, it doesn't matter if you're in a car, if in a train, if you're at your kitchen table, or if you're lying in bed, as long as it's before, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, um, a certain amount of time before, before having breakfast so that it's on an empty stomach, um, it will probably, or, or, or almost possibly, uh, will have... Uh, certain effects. Mm. Um, you can't say that in education because um, there are too many other factors. What, the way one teacher approaches uh, and carries out a lesson in direct instruction is different from another teacher. The rapport between one, and the, one teacher in the class and the other, the way they take care of their classroom is completely different. So it makes it hard in any event in an ecologically valid situation to carry out that type of, uh, of research. Um, in a laboratory setting, it's 
quite a lot easier. But there are a lot of people who do not, how should I say it by being kind to people, um, uh, carry out the steps in go doing good empirical research that they should be carrying out. Okay. Yeah. So they confound their variables and things like that. But that's the thing that makes it hard now to translate it into an ecologically valid, dirty learning situation. Um, uh, the fact that uh, so many of the variables that you can't control for um, uh, play a role. So do we, if, if, if all education research is sort of subject to those issues, I guess you can almost say that if they, all, if they all suffer from the same problems, then we can still take things from that research and say, okay, we know there's, there's variables problems here, but if the variables exist in all the studies, we still see certain things work and certain things don't work. Exactly. But um, um, it, it's, it, 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 that's perfectly said, and that's what you see now in the results of um, uh, the different meta-studies. Mm. Um, uh, what you can't do is you can't say, well, we did one experiment, this worked, so it will always work. Mm. Because it depends upon quite a lot of uh, extra factors. Um, uh, something that works by college students uh, probably won't work by uh, primary school uh, children. Um, something that works in um, uh, one domain possibly won't work in another domain. So you have to be very, very careful in the claims that you make um, it's important to uh, try do things that you're doing from a theoretical basis in which you not only know what worked, but you also have an inkling of why it worked. Mm. And if something doesn't work, you also know why it doesn't work. And it shouldn't be um, research that's based upon the premise of, it. it oh, oh, it works, it, ha it has to work, uh, it works. We'll just try this. I call it always call it the American approach. The Nike just do it. Yeah. Um, it's not that A is better than B. The question is why, in and in what situation under what constraints is A better than B? And so that's why I say get out of your paradigma and um, uh, be flexible in what you're doing, but making use of good grounded theory in doing that. Mm. And so. With that, all that taken into consideration, then, can we say that direct instruction is still the most effective, um, or explicit instruction in your terminology, is the most effective way of teaching? Yes. Yes, we can say that. I mean, if we look at John, what John Hattie um, did uh, with his book of Visible Learning, and I know there's um, uh, comments on his uh, 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 statistics knowledge, let's call it that, mm. He still found that in 304 studies, I think it was, um, that the average effect size was almost uh, 0.6, which is incredibly large, and one of the largest uh, of, of any of the interventions that Hattie studied in invisible learning. Mm -hmm. uh, if we look at um, the, 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 the project follow-through, which was carried out in America and in the 70s and 80s, uh, with something like 70,000 students, um, uh, uh, they found that uh, as open education, uh, constructivism, discovery-based learning, uh, direct instruction, they had four or five different models of, of learning, that far and away, direct instruction had um, the best results for language, spelling, maths, and reading. And strangely enough, 
even the, the, the latest pieces, uh, I think our 2015 it was, um, if you look at the factors uh, associated with science performance, um, outside of the socioeconomic profile of, of the learners, which had an incredible um, effect upon uh, how well learners um, uh, did, um, uh, the index of teacher-directed instruction was, I think, the third um, most uh, effective strategy. And whereas uh, inquiry-based instruction, which is the, uh, let's say, call it the opposite of of direct instruction or to teacher directed instruction was almost one of the worst uh, i think there were only three uh, approaches that were um, worse than um, uh, inquiry based instruction so if, if you look at things from the 1980-81 from uh, um, the, the, the project follow through if you look at Hattie's work in the 2000s and if you even look at the PISA you see that direct instruction across the board is um, effective and efficient and has been proven to be such and are those um, studies all working roughly to a similar... I know the um, project follow-through was mainly Engelman's definition yeah. of DI, wasn't it? But, yeah. Uh, those sort of... I think it was six tenets you, you, you mentioned of explicit yeah, exactly. instruction. Each of those studies sort of had those in common, for example. Yeah, well, uh, um, um, uh, almost all of them had it in common. If I, if I look at the PISA, they were talking about um, things like... Um, uh, that the teacher uh, explains the scientific ideas, discusses the questions, um, uh, demonstrates an idea, has whole class discussion, yeah. which is uh, 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 which are a number of the things, and uh, as opposed to the inquiry based, in which um, students are allowed to design their own experiences and experiments. Uh, uh, students uh, are asked to do investigations. Uh, they spend time in the labs doing practical things. So, kind of like the opposite of what the direct instruction does. So, in all of those, I don't. I can't say the same is true in Hattie because uh, I mean I didn't look at all 304 of the studies that Hattie um, included as a meta-analysis of direct instruction. But I assume um, it, that was the case. And do they, um, do these studies span uh, age groups, uh, subjects, yes. cultures, yes. all of those sort of... Uh, well, PISA, of course, doesn't. Mm. Um, the, the, but um, Project Follow-Through and Hattie, definitely, in which he also corrects for um, um, those external factors such as uh, age, um, uh, domain, and things like that. It strikes me as well that some of, you know, if you look at those six tenets that you've described, Someone who may think they are, um, I guess, the stereotypical progressive style of teacher may actually be more direct instruction than they think they are. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Uh, that's why I say the other one is a straw man, because if you look at what most, most good teachers do, mm. and um, uh, I, I, I like to use good teachers as, let's call it the baseline, mm. um, they're giving explicit instruction based upon lesson plans or other things like that, but they're, they're, they're doing all of those, let's say, those six tenets, giving step-by-step uh, -step strategies, um, uh, working to have children achieve that at each step, um, fading the direction 
uh, as the students uh, are capable of doing it independently, uh, give practice, they're, they're doing all of that. But if you then say, oh, you're giving direct instruction, they look at you as the Dutch saying is, as if they're seeing water on fire. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they say, no, 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a professor, I'm a, I'm a constructivist teacher. Um, I, I'm giving them tasks and they're working on it on their own. And if they're doing it well, if the teacher's doing it well, they've first given explicit instruction, helped them with prior knowledge before they went into it. They didn't say, well, here it is, go figure it out yourself. Mm. So it's, it's kind of they have a blind spot. And, and, and that's why I say teachers tend to see it as a, uh, as a straw man, something that doesn't exist, but it's very easy to knock down. Where do you think that, um, that fear or animosity, I guess the, the use of those two words depends on which particular teacher you're talking about but where do you think that originates from is that from you know our sort of cultural knowledge of of what we think di is in the sense of you know uh 1930s schools kids in rows you know shouted out blackboard rubber to the head type stuff right that, that, that that's grown into the sort of perception of it or do you think this is coming from uh, that sort of stereotype being propagated by teachers who may deliver DI in that way, and may they, you know, that may be the way they feel comfortable delivering DI in a sort of lecture style. Um, um, would you would, would you say both of them could be the case? Mm. Um, I, 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 I kind of, for myself, look at it um, uh, based upon, let's say, um, uh, I would give possibly three reasons. Mm -hmm. But uh, I haven't done research on that, so let me put that as a caveat beforehand. Mm. I haven't done the research on it, so now I'm giving my opinion, and my opinion is as good or as bad as anyone else's opinion uh, mm. uh, on this. But the first thing I see when talking to a lot of teachers, and I present them with um, all these different types of myths within education, because I often give uh, uh, presentations on, on, on myths, is that um, it's seen as not being hip. Um, teachers are uh, who who um, uh, embrace direct instruction or would like to embrace in, uh, direct instruction are afraid of being branded as as, as dinosaurs as luddites um, those types of of, of, of terms mm. okay so um, it's, it's, it's as I said direct instruction is a very pejorative um, uh, sound to it um, the second uh, uh, reason, um, which is related to that, um, is that um, since they see it as this straw man, or it's propagated as a straw man, um, it's not within the mainstream of the educational gurus, who I tend to call eduquacks, <laughs> yes. who um, uh, uh, propagate what good modern uh, uh, progressive education should be the Sugata Mitras, the Sir Ken Robinsons of the world, who present um, this very pejorative view of um, what uh, good instruction is, and uh, people want to belong to this new um, uh, world of TED speakers. Uh, um, uh, yeah this is the way you should be doing it in the 21st century. I mean, 21st century skills is one of the biggest pieces of snake oil that I've ever come across. Yes. And it's still being propagated by all of these people. And the, a third one, 
and we've done a little bit of research on that, is um, direct instruction, as I stated, requires a heck of a lot of knowledge uh, 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 by the teachers, in the teachers. It requires uh, pedagogical, didactic, educational knowledge on the one hand, and domain knowledge. And there's been quite a lot of research in the previous couple of years, um, first in the United States, um, the um, uh, National Council on Teacher Quality, and with two uh, students of mine here in the Netherlands in Flanders, as to what the knowledge that new up and upcoming upcoming teachers are are getting of good um, teaching and learning strategies, and that tends to be very minimal at best. Um, I'll give you an example, uh, um, approaches such as spaced practice or retrieval practice or interleaving or those types of things, which have been shown to be incredibly um, effective. Uh, if you look at the textbooks, uh, the uh, National Council on Teacher Quality studied uh, both the textbooks and the teaching in 40 teacher colleges spread throughout the United States and found out that these top six um, uh, approaches to teaching, teaching and learning strategies, were um, sporadically at best taught within the books and the courses of these teacher colleges in the United States. Mm -hmm. That uh, sometimes there were less than one or two sentences in that whole book as what space practice actually is or what retrieval practice actually is. And we did the same kind of like a, a um, uh, replication for those two things, space practice and retrieval practice, in all of the teacher training colleges in the Netherlands and Flanders and found out that only two of the 44 teacher training colleges in those two uh, uh, countries, in Bel Flanders, Belgium, and in the Netherlands, only two of them handled those two, and those are known as possibly the two most effective teaching and learning strategies, space practice and retrieval practice, that they were um, in only two of the uh, teacher training colleges, they were taught what it was, what the theory was behind it, how they could implement it in practice, and were given references to the original research so that they could study it further. Mm. That means the other 42 didn't cover either one or both of the most effective and efficient teaching and learning strategies that we know of. So it might be that teachers themselves don't have um, the prerequisite knowledge and skills to do that which direct instruction requires. It seems then as well that that's not just a problem with the teachers not being able to sort of see how to do it, but it's difficult then as well when these teachers are in leadership or observational pointers where they can assess whether someone's doing it well. So you might, exactly. you have a, a, a catch-22, I guess, where you, you just don't have any enough knowledge in the system to make... DI or direct instruction or explicit instruction, you don't have enough knowledge to sort of assess, you know, okay, this is how you improve that bit of your practice. This is how, you know, let's push this up a bit here because the knowledge isn't there perhaps. 
that's 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 definitely the case and since um let's say this idea of constructivism or or or, or child led or whatever has been let's say um seen as more important mm. um uh, let's call it in any event since the 80s of the previous century so we're talking about 30 to 40 years mm. that means also the teacher trainers possibly don't have the prerequisite knowledge and skills of the different uh, uh, teaching and learning strategies um, that are effective. So that means those who are um, uh, evaluating it don't have the knowledge and skills. Those who are teaching the teachers possibly don't have the knowledge and skills. And the up-and-coming teachers who are in training aren't receiving the requisite or prerequisite knowledge and skills. And I guess my final question then is, is related to that, which is uh, with those six uh, tenets of, 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 of explicit instruction, is there room there then where group work or project work or some of the other sort of, I guess, founding points of progressive teaching can work if you apply those six tenets to it? Definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, let's take group work, okay? The first thing we have to realize about group work is that most people don't know how to uh, uh, collaborate and coordinate their group work. So it means you need, before you start working in teams, kind of like deal with, let's set the groundwork from what does it mean to work in a team, okay? The second, you have to take the time to properly form the teams. Um, uh, the stages which are used, uh, uh, which is Janssen and Tuckman, I think it was, of uh, storming, norming, uh, 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 storming, form, forming, storming, norming, performing. <laughs> okay, those yeah. are it. And then they added the fifth, adjourning. That um, um, uh, working in groups means you have to also develop a rapport, psychological safety, and those types of things. Mm. And then if you look at why do I want to make use of group instruction, what are my specific learning goals, which is one of the tenets of, of, of direct instruction, um, uh, you say, okay, um, I want to use it for a certain reason. Um, maybe I don't want to use it to have them learn the basic facts within an area, but I want to have them use it to um, uh, work on a task that is larger than they can carry out by themselves. Mm. And then you can make use of working in groups if you use it for the proper reason. I mean, I, I can constantly go back to the, the metaphor of the, um, uh, of the chef, but uh, a chef has um, a certain technique that he or she can use um, that could be using a microwave oven or steaming or what molecular cooking, but he or she uses that technique when it's apropos to what he or she wants to achieve in that meal. Mm. The teacher should make use of behaviorist principles, cognitivistic principles, and constructivist principles where it fits. And the problem is that most people um, tend to try to remain within their paradigm and become paradigmatic, are, are, are afraid to make use of 
of, of cognitivist or even behaviorist techniques if they call themselves a constructivist. So they they kind of like put themselves into the same thing that a fish and chips uh, uh, place has, and they only have actually one way of cooking, and that's deep frying. So if it's dessert, it's a deep fried Mars bar. And if it's uh, the meal, it's your your fish and your chips, and there are certain condiments, and that's it. But if you're a teacher, you make use of all of the tools and techniques and ingredients that you have at your discretion, to make good education, and that often includes making use of, 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 of working in groups, giving people tasks to carry out or problems. Mm. But as we go back to those tenets, you only do that after you're sure as a, um, as a teacher that um, um, the, the, the student is capable of doing that work independently. Mm. So you've given the support and the guidance beforehand, and when you, when, 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 when you see that they're capable of working constructively together in teams, you then take back. So even when they're working in teams, you make use of support and guidance in that, as a mentor, as a tutor in it, and then eventually kind of like go away and let them do it themselves when you see that you can do it. So that's, yeah, I mean in six tenets is using adequate and systematic pro- uh, uh, practice through a range of examples. You, you, you give them different situations in which they can do it. No problem. It sounds then like summing up that I think D- DI in direct instruction has a, has a big image problem that you know, teachers need to perhaps be a bit more free thinking about it, get away from, as, as you say, the dogmas around it and say, actually, what is it actually asking us to do and how can I apply that to my teaching and am I doing that in my teaching? Um, I, why, am, why aren't I um, interviewing you? Because you said it better than I could say it, so I won't add anything to it. <laughs> um, <too> kind. <laughs> they need a good. They need. They need better PR, hmm. and um, they need um, a, a public uh, 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 that is uh, open-minded, that doesn't immediately choose to to pigeonhole uh, uh, something as being something as soon as they hear the word. Mm. And I, I notice that when I talk to teachers, all of a sudden this light shines in their eyes and they say, oh, but I've been doing that all along. Mm. And I said, well, if you're a good teacher, of course you've been doing that all along. You're, 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 you're skills-based. Uh, you're integrating uh, smaller units into, into meaningful hole, holes. You're, 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 you're making developmentally appropriate instruction. You're not giving this one-size-fits-all. You're monitoring what's going on in the classroom um, and what your students are, are, are doing. You're, you're creating a, 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 a feeling of gratification in your students who have the idea, hey, I, hey, self-efficacy, I can do it. And that's what a good teacher does, whether they know it or not. I think that's an excellent place to finish. Thank you, Paul. That was really interesting. You're very welcome. I I, I really enjoyed speaking to you, and I hope it was, for the listener, um, a little bit coherent.
Audi de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détails sur Audi.fr.